Welcome to Caregiving Club On Air. This podcast is dedicated to the millions of family caregivers who want wellness tips and self-care solutions, who seek expert advice, and who want news about healthy aging and how to create well-home design in our forever homes. I'm Sherry Snelling, a corporate gerontologist, author, and educator, a TV interviewer, host, and news commentator. I'm joining you from Southern California, where our interviews and news take us all across the country to explore the many ways to help you on your caregiving journey and to lift you up here at Caregiving Club On Air. Welcome back to season two of Caregiving Club On Air. I'm your host, Sherry Snelling. And, you know, last episode, we talked a little bit about financial wellness and also emotional wellness with the science of happiness, which are all part of our Me Time Monday program and the seven elements of wellness. Well, today, we're actually going to focus on environmental wellness, which really is about our home well design. How well are our homes supporting our health and wellness habits and goals that we have for this year? So we have a great guest coming up since the theme of this episode is healthy habits, hugs, and how to declutter your home and your mind, we have Matt Paxton, who is the Emmy-winning TV host of a PBS series called Legacy List with Matt Paxton. And Matt has a new book coming out actually on February 8th. So he gave us a sneak peek of that book. And we're going to share that interview with you today. But he's going to talk to us about how to declutter, how to downsize, how to approach this minimalism, if you will, in well-home design that actually does make us happier and adds to our well-being. So that's going to be a great interview. So stay tuned for that just coming up. And as we always do at the end of each episode, we'll do our Me Time Monday wellness hack. This episode, we're actually going to take you through the science and the principles of the Me Time Monday program. And we're going to touch upon things like micro steps and habit stacking and the science of Mondays to keep us all well throughout the year and maybe to replace those New Year resolutions with the Me Time Monday program. So stay tuned for that wellness hack. That's going to be a great one. And as always, we have our caregiver wellness news headlines that we're going to share with you, a little pop culture as well. And then certainly we're going to share with you the latest trends in well home design that are going to help caregivers and older adults who want to stay in their homes as healthy and as happy as long as they can. So with that, let's go to our caregiver wellness news. So as I mentioned in our last episode, we focused more on the emotional wellness and the financial wellness aspects of our seven ways to wellness, which is part of our overall Me Time Monday program. And today, what we're going to do is we're going to focus in our caregiver wellness news on the physical element of the seven ways to wellness. And then later on, we're going to focus on the environmental element with our interview with Matt Paxton and also some home design, well home design news that we have for you. But let's go back to this physical element of our seven 
elements of wellness in the Meantime Monday program. So first of all, with the news headlines out there, a lot of you I know are very familiar with Peloton, which is basically the exercise bike. And then they have the companion instructors that you can dial up online that became really popular with obviously the pandemic and a lot of people needing to exercise at home because we weren't going to the gym anymore. But Peloton had made the news, not maybe for the best reasons. Uh, For those of you who are fans of the reboot of Sex and the City, which is called And Just Like That, in the very first episode, our unfortunately Mr. Big, he bites the dust after riding on a Peloton bike. And Peloton actually did something very clever, which wasn't probably the greatest product placement in history. But what they did is they created a viral video with the actor who plays Mr. Big, Chris Noth, And it got a whole lot of views and actually, you know, looked like a clever turn on what had happened in the episode. But unfortunately, just a few days later, Chris Noth got bitten by cancel culture and it really, you know, wasn't a good news cycle for Peloton. But I want to actually redeem Peloton and what they're doing with some really great news for caregivers. So Peloton announced last fall that they were launching something called Journey health and lifestyle brand, which is really an interesting, holistic look at wellness in the home. And one of the things that they did is one of the the foundations of that new journey line of products, if you will, is they bought something called First Street. Now, First Street is one of the preeminent e-commerce sites for caregiving and for older adults. It's a lot of different devices and it's not just medical devices, but it's things like great task lighting, terrific kind of massage chairs, lots of wellness products, everything you can think of really from A to Z. And First Street has been around for a very long time and they've done a really great job. Well, Peloton has purchased them. They acquired that company last fall. And what they're really saying, I think, with that purchase is that wellness in the home is ageless and they are there to embrace older adults that they know are staying in their homes as long as possible into our 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and you know maybe even 100. And Peloton is going to be there for all of their customers. I really applaud that. I think it's exciting. I think it'll be really interesting to see what other brands now do that are more of our traditional retail brands that have always targeted you know that 18 to 49 or 25 to 54 segment and now are looking to broaden that to the over age 50 population. So some other headlines that are kind of in the same area of physical element of wellness are some startup companies that have launched more what I would call exercise with a social component. So two companies I really love, one is called Spyro 100. And in fact, they were part of an announcement at CES, the big consumer electronics show that was held in Vegas recently. Um, They are part of the Independa platform and Independa announced a lifestyle channel, if you will. Independa has uh, been a platform that's been out there for older adults for a long time, where on LG TVs, which is where the independent platform can be found, they're built into those television sets and you can dial up Facebook or whatever programming you want or cruise the internet and, you know, check out social media or connect with your doctor and do a telehealth visit 
all through your television set. So Spire 100 is now part of that platform. Another company called Vitality Society is really great. And they're working with a lot of different employer groups, but also other organizations to, in the same manner, offer a lot of exercise and wellness classes, things like Tai Chi, low impact type exercise that can be done in the home by older adults. And, but it's also got a very big community and social component to it. So if your loved one is at home and doesn't really want to go back to the senior center to work out and it's not getting out as much as maybe they'd like to, check out a couple of these subscription models because I think they're really terrific. Now, something else that made the news headlines is Nike. So Nike's founder, Philip Knight, is in his 80s and he actually runs about eight miles a week. He did a recent interview and the interviewer said to him, so I understand you walk about eight miles a week. And he was very indignant and he said, Absolutely not. I run eight miles a week. I just run slowly. So I thought that was pretty hilarious. But what he was talking about is a new shoe and it's called the Nike Cruiser One. You can find it now on a lot of different websites that sell athletic footwear and of course the Nike website. But what the Cruiser One is designed for is for older adults who want to stay active and whether that's running like Philip Knight or whether it's walking, it is designed for an older foot. There's there's a, a different design to it for the cushioning and the impact to the joints. Anyway, it's, it's a really exciting time, I think, for a lot of product designers, retail brands, and startup companies and entrepreneurs who are out there that want to tap into this 50 plus market. He wants to stay as physically fit as possible. And by the way, the longevity economy, which is what we call the Americans over 50 plus, how, what is their impact to the overall economy? Well, it's $8.3 trillion. So for any company out there that's looking to capture a larger audience and more dollars, the 50 plus market is actually a really great place to start to build your business on. And a lot of companies have actually done that. Now, along these same lines of physical wellness, I wanted to share a pop culture video with you. So we have a link on our episode guide page. Now, I came across this video about, oh, it's probably about eight years ago now, but it was done by Volkswagen and they launched an initiative called the Fun Theory. And what they did is they gave grants to different researchers around the globe and they said to them, we want to create healthier behaviors, but we know that to get people engaged, we're going to have to probably make it fun. So we're going to give you these grants to come up with something really creative. And the one that I'm going to share with you, I absolutely love. Maybe some of you have seen it. It's called Piano Stairs. And it was done by a research group in Sweden. So you've got to check that out. It is amazing to really see how we can change our behavior to be healthier if we have an element of fun that's built into it. So turning now to another aspect of our physical wellness, you know, hugs got a bad rap during the pandemic because we all had to social distance and, you know, be careful about touching and all these other things, which I kind of, you know, was really despondent about because I know that from a science perspective, hugs actually help us survive and help us thrive. It's that physical contact that humans and actually most animals need. And in fact, there's been studies that have been done over the last 50 years about the oxytocin release that we get when we have a hug or maybe hold hands with somebody. And it actually has a calming effect 
it definitely influences our emotions and our mental health. And, you know, when we're seeing all these surveys about particularly younger generations that are really struggling with mental health, you know, there's higher levels of depression, there's higher levels of emotional burnout and emotional health issues, particularly among our family caregivers and even our direct care workers, our professional caregivers. And I think that eliminating things like a hug are actually more detrimental than what we're trying to protect ourselves against. So, you know, as I mentioned, there's been studies that have been done. There's one called the Wire Monkey Mama study that was done with baby monkeys that showed that they thrived more when they had their real mom, the warmth and the and the nurturing of a real mom rather than a wired, you know, type of mom. They did this in the NICU with preemies. So children that were born prematurely, those that were cuddled and hugged thrived and gained weight faster than those that were fed and kept warm, but weren't hugged and weren't cuddled. And then they also did it in a nursing home. So across the age spectrum, what we're seeing is that hugs actually are extremely healthy for us. And in fact, there's a neuroeconomist, Paul Zak, who does a TED talk out there. And he talks about how the prescription is eight hugs a day actually boosts your oxytocin levels that become neuroprotective, which means that you're enhancing your brain health by hugging. Now, I did this at a, I gave a a keynote speech at the um, National Caregiver Expo a few years ago, and I talked about the science of hugs and how a personal story of a friend of mine who was caring for her husband with cancer, I went to visit her and I asked her, as I always do with caregivers first, how are you doing? Because everybody always asked about the patient first, right? And she started tearing up. So I gave her a hug and then she got really teary and we both started crying and I felt a little bit bad, but she said, thank you. I needed that so much because my husband hasn't been able to hug me. And I really needed that. Well, I told this story as I was giving the keynote speech and I said, so if you see a caregiver, they may just need a hug and it, you know, do, do your good deed for the day, share your empathy and your kindness by giving them a hug. Well, spontaneously people in the audience turned to the stranger, maybe they knew the person they were sitting next to and gave everybody in the audience a hug. And it was such a wonderful moment because I think it shows that you know, if we can share kindness and empathy and compassion and really comfort each other in tough times, like we've been going through the last few years, it can actually really boost our mood and help us with our health. So that's my little hug lecture for the day. I'm a big hugger. I know some of you aren't. There's other ways to pat somebody on the back, but that physical touch is actually really, really, really vital. Now for a little pop culture, I wanted to share a couple of things since we're on the topic of hugs. There's two things I wanted to share. The first is one of my favorite movies, which is actually kind of more of a holiday movie, but quite frankly, I think you can watch this movie anytime during the year. And it's called Love Actually. For those of you who haven't seen it, there is a scene at the very opening of the movie. And if that's all you want to watch, that's great. But it's at Heathrow Airport and it is showing people getting off the plane and smiling and hugging and laughing with their loved ones who have come to greet them. And I think what that shows is that Again, this this sense of hugging gives us a sense of belonging. It grounds us. It lifts us up. So check out that movie because it's a great movie overall, but I just love that opening scene. And also the monologue that Hugh Grant does is a really lovely monologue about how love and hugs are really important to us as a society. And then my second hug pop culture is we recently lost the wonderful 
Betty White, who was such an icon. In fact, she was only days away from her 100th birthday. It was on January 17th, um, and we lost her just a few days before that. And I had the honor of actually interviewing Ed Asner, who was starring with Betty on the Mary Tyler Moore show way back when in the 70s, for those of you who are boomers and a little bit older like me. But Ed was 91, and I interviewed him last year during the pandemic, and it was a really fantastic interview. I was actually interviewing him more about his acting career and his advocacy for, you know, older actors in the Hollywood community, but he really wanted to talk about family and those types of connections that are so important and friendships. And he said at the time, you know, it's just me and Betty who are left from the Mary Tyler Moore show. We've lost Mary Tyler Moore herself and Gavin McLeod and so many of the other wonderful actors that were on that. So I'm sharing with you a YouTube video, which is the final scene of the end of the Mary Tyler Moore series. And it has a fantastic hug scene in it. So you've got to check that out because it's really funny. But again, I think it shows us how important both our work families and our real families and friends are to us. So enjoy that little clip from the Mary Tyler Moore show. So we're going to have all these links on our episode page. And now I want to go to my interview with Matt Paxton. As I mentioned, he's got a new book coming out, Keep the Memories, Lose the Stuff. It's coming out on February 8th, but he sent me an early copy of it. And it's fantastic. And I I think you're going to really enjoy this interview about how to declutter, downsize, and definitely help your mental health. So here we are, our interview with Matt Paxton. So my next guest is one of the gurus of decluttering. And for more than 20 years, Matt Paxton has been helping people with the psychological roadblocks to downsizing and organizing our things to create more healthful living environments. And he is the host of the Emmy-nominated PBS TV series, Legacy List with Matt Paxton. And he's the author of an upcoming book called Keep the Memories, Lose the Stuff, Declutter, Downsize, and Move Forward with Your Life. Matt, welcome to Caregiving Club on Air. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to great to talk to you. This is such a great subject, probably one I myself need a lot of help with. So I'm going to be taking notes while you're talking to us. <laughs> Downsizing is you don't know you need the help until you need it. Yeah, And then you're like, oh my God, I need a lot of help. Yes, exactly. So one of the first questions we always ask our guests is where are we talking to you from? Because we talk to people all over the country. So where are you today? I am in Atlanta, Georgia. I just moved here a year ago. I I lived in Richmond, Virginia my entire life. And I myself downsized just a year ago to live with my fiance and our seven kids. Wow. Okay. So you're, you're not only writing about this, you're living this. (laughs) I'm living it, man. We, we converted to minimalism about a year ago. And so I actually had to get rid of 80% of my stuff. It was really, and it it, it was, I was in the middle of writing my book. And then all of a sudden I started struggling with my own stuff. Right. And so I had to really like decide like, okay, am I, am I moving or not? Because the stuff was holding me back, you know? And here I am, the guy giving everybody advice on it, but yet I couldn't, I couldn't let go. Yeah. Well, and I think that's, that's the part I loved too about your book is that you talk not so much about the task of decluttering, but the psychological experiences and and things that we go through. And so first of all, thank you for giving me a preview of your book, because I know you're going to talk about when it comes out, but, you know, give us just a really quick 
your origin story, because what I love is that you really started on this career path because you were a caregiver for your dad at the end of his life. So, so tell us a little bit about that experience and what you learned in having then to go through his things after he passed away. Yeah. And I, I, the word caregiver is, is such a sacred word to me. I want to really just stress that. Like I was, you know, I was a 24 year old kid. I couldn't find my way as a career. And then my dad got sick and my dad had cancer. They said he had three weeks to live like three to six weeks. And for my dad, like that was the, that's the right amount of time. Like he got to throw a party, he got to say goodbye. And I, that's and, what my dad did. <laughs> yeah. He, he wasn't it. a, like he wasn't going to fight it for five years. Like that wasn't his style. So he, I mean, he basically threw his own funeral and got to hear everybody. And they say, and it was for my dad, it was great. But yeah, I moved in my dad, took care of my dad for the last couple of weeks. And then I was left with this house, this 4,000 square foot home. And it was hard, man. Like I was grieving. I'm going through all this stuff. When you go through your parents' house, you find things you don't want to find of your parents, right? And good and bad. And he had left me all these little treats that he knew he was dying. So he left me all these jokes, you know, and like it was, it was a roller coaster of emotions. And I had just figured out this whole caregiving thing. And at the same time, it was a super positive experience because I like got to spend the last couple of weeks with my dad. And so I cleaned his house out and I finished. And then right after that, my stepfather died and then both my grandfathers died. So I spent a year and a half and then a grandma actually. So I, I mean, I spent a year and a half cleaning out four separate houses. And, and that was just like what I did. And uh, the best part is, you know, I, I, put, I say this all the time. My grandfather had said to me, man, if something sucks, do it as a job because people will pay you to do it because they don't want to do it. And he was totally right. <laughs> you know, and, like, and, and I remember hearing that. I was like, I got to get a job because I, I had spent a year and a half cleaning all these houses. And then like all the little ladies at church started saying, hey, can you help me with my attic? Can you help me do my garage? And it was like, oh, maybe this is my job. And when I finally embraced it, I think like a lot of professional caregivers, you're called to it because of necessity. Because basically we didn't have the money to hire a professional and for downsizing and decluttering, there were no professionals 20 years ago. Right. You know? And so at least I didn't know that there were a couple, but I didn't know. And so I ended up just doing it because it was like, well, I just did it and then I'll see if people will pay me. And then they did. And I talk about this a lot in the book. I mean, I started getting this magical thing called a paycheck, you know, basically a hug and a check. And I'd help this lady. She'd give me a huge hug. I'd learn all these awesome things about them. I hear all these incredible stories and they would hand me money. And I was like, <laughs> dude, this is amazing, you know? Yeah. And so like, I mean, it really, people are always like, how do you get into that? You know? And I just, I just loved it and still do. Like there's nothing better than hanging out with some old lady cleaning out her house and hearing the stories about her when she was 18, you know, and you feel these incredible stories. Well, and what I loved about the book, and I think you're right. I mean, you tapped into this thing that people don't really want to think about. I mean, uh, look at a lot of us, it's 10, 20, 30 years before we get into the garage or the attic or whatever it is. But you talk about the stories being attached to the stuff and listening. And I think, you know, that's, that's a big word that we talk about in caregiving is just to listen, have that patience and have that empathy and have that experience. And so one of the things that really hit me is you wrote in the book that hoarding is almost kind of like masking pain. So it's, tell us a little bit about that piece. Yes. Yeah, so let's, let's talk about the H word hoarding. I'm, I was, a lot of people are thinking, how do I know this guy? I've heard him or seen him before. Well, I was the host of hoarders for 13 seasons. And so that's, I was a little, 
I'm, I'm finally losing weight. I mean, I was really skinny back then, but I did hoarders for 13 years. And so for eight years professionally, all I did was hoarded houses. So I got to see the worst of the worst. And I jokingly tell people like, I'm the Patagonia jacket of cleaning, right? Like <laughs> you don't necessarily need a Patagonia jacket because you're not going to like 20 below, but like, it's nice to have the skill set that we need. And so I've seen the worst and, and the, I mean, I really have probably cleaned the, the messiest homes in the country. And what I found in every house was grief, right? And the hoard, sometimes the hoarding would be a legitimate wall. Like they were literally protecting themselves from the outside world. And so I, I love that you you noticed, you know, there's so much emotion in this book and it's because it's the stories, man. And, and it's, you know, I learned that people keep this stuff because of those emo- emotions. In hoarding, it was usually negative emotions. They were, they were protecting themselves from getting hurt or get abused or, you know, something bad had happened to them. And so then when I started cleaning just normal downsized houses, it was like, oh, well, this is the same thing. We keep these things because of the stories, not because, you know, nobody keeps books because we love a piece of paper. We love what that book did to us at that moment in time. Like I read that book and I was in a divorce and that book made me feel empowered and it made me go be a better woman. I went back to school and I'm, I'm awesome now because of that book. It's not the paper or the pages. It is how that book made you feel, how it made you act and how it made you become a better person. Every item in your house, I believe there's a story behind it. And usually there's a person that you loved behind it. And so, and I take that back to hoarders. We held on to things in hoarders because we got hurt, all right? With our seniors, we hold on to stuff because they worked their butts off to get it. They really preached how hard they got it. And there's some kind of emotion behind it. And then when I saw families fight over stuff during downsizing, you know, I once saw two sisters fight over a piano and neither of them played it. Neither of them played piano. And they just about broke up their relationship. And finally, I was just like, hey, girls. And I called them girls on purpose. These were like 75-year-old women. <laughs> and, and I wanted I was poking the bear. Like, I was trying to get them angry, you know. I yeah. said, girls, what, what are we doing here, man? Like, this is clearly not about a piano. I go, <laughs> right. neither of you play. It never I is go, about the thing, right? <laughs> no, I go, if, you, if either one of you can play a song for me right now, you get it. Like, I'm, I'm taking over a sheriff, and neither of them can play. And then one of them yells, well, Dad liked you more, blah, blah, blah. And then t- the other one yells, well... You, you kissed my boyfriend. And turn out it was about a damn boyfriend when they were like 14. And I said, okay, ladies, come here. And so we went on Facebook and I looked this dude up. Uh, right? you're and I, he's this fat old <laughs> ugly dude. He's clearly, you know, and I said, this is what you guys have been fighting about for 65 <laughs> years. This old really ridiculous dude, you know, and they were just like, oh my God, they were so embarrassed. And, and the point of it, I was trying to get the emotion. I was like, this has nothing to do with stuff. It's about the stories, good or bad. Well, and, you know, it's so interesting because, you know, we do talk about those things that happen, particularly, I think, when your parents are ill or at end of life, you see the sibling issues come up and it does go back to childhood, right? It's like you tore the head off my Barbie and I never forgave you for it. I mean, it's amazing. But one of the things that I loved is that you talk almost about, you know, the grieving process. We know that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote about the five stages of grief, getting to acceptance. And then David Kessler, his newest book talks about meaning, which is the sixth stage of grief. And And I felt when I was reading your book, that's what you're helping to give people is what is the meaning of this thing? So tell us what is the secret behind your legacy list? Because you really help people understand how much meaning does this really have to you? Yeah. So the legacy list is a list of five or six items that are really important to telling your family story and your family history. And it's, it's also obviously the name of the TV show that I have on PBS. That TV show is really important because 
I come to families where they're either downsizing or someone's passed away, but they've got to they got to go through the whole house and they got to go through 50 years of memories. And I said, I want the five memories. I want to know what the five main things are. And it, it actually started 20 years ago. I would say that people say, I used to call it a fire list. And I'd say, hey, if your house catches on fire, what are the five things you need? And I used to not put five. I would just say, what are the things you need? And they would take a piece of paper and they would write it all down. They say, can I write on the back? I'm like, oh, yeah, man, go ahead, write on the back. <laughs> And then I would pull out a stopwatch. Like, and this is how long ago it was an old, like a track stopwatch, you know? And I said, great. I go, your house is on fire. And I hit, I go, you got 60 seconds. Go find all these items, right? And they'd be like, uh, and they couldn't find them. And I was trying to make a point of like, look, if your house burns down, you're not getting anything. So what really matters? And what I found in that exercise is it's never the expense, the expensive stuff. It's always something small. It's always something meaningful. It's emotionally valuable, not financially valuable. And so when I created this new show, I wanted to make a super positive show about aging, which is not as easy to sell as you would think. Most networks were like, well, they're like attractive granddaughters that will argue over the stuff. You know, like they wanted to make like this ridiculous, you know, fighting thing. And I'm like, no, no, believe it or not. I go, there's an audience for people that just want to see positive stories about positive people that are getting older. Yeah. And sure enough. (laughs) <laughs> and guess what? We got an we got an Emmy nomination because of it. But the point, all of it's based on that legacy list is like, let's bear down your family history to like truth. Like, what is this? What's after you're gone? Right. So like I tell everybody, like, you're you're alive right now. People know exactly who you are. <laughs> we you know, there's really no secrets about who we are anymore. And I love that. And I said, look, when you're gone, like I think about I'm really lucky my and I, and I said that the right way. I'm really lucky that I get to tell my dad and my grandparents' story to my kids. I now have seven kids, and I have three that are mine, four that are my fiancés. And I'm telling them stories about my grandparents and my dad every day, but they never got to meet them. And so it's it's only four or five items that I get to tell them. And like one of my items is a cookbook my mom made for me. She went to both my grandmas, all the old ladies at church. My mom basically went to every other woman in my life that helped raise me. Great aunts, moms, ex-girl, you name it. Every woman I knew, she got all the recipes. And they wrote it down in a book. And it's in all of their handwritings. Oh, wow. And so, like, my great-grandma has a recipe in there for apricot pies. I love it. I made it this Thanksgiving. My stepkids and me were going through my great-grandma's recipe. And I'm like, that is a legacy. you know. And, it, and, they, were, and they were following it, like, word for word. And we made these pies that I remember eating as a kid. And I'm just like, dude, that is a legacy list. That Like, that's what matters. And I was able to tell all these crazy, the whole time we're cooking, I'm telling stories about my grandma, about my grandpa, about fishing. One time a bear chased us. Like, I'm telling all these awesome stories that we never really would have had that vehicle if it wasn't for those items. And the, what the legacy list does is it lets you pick those five items before you clean the rest of the house. And I put it at the beginning because I want you to know what truly matters. Because at the end of the day... The rest of that stuff doesn't really matter, man. Like 90, 99% of the stuff in your house does not matter. And that's why we, we really hone in on the legacy list. And, yeah. Well, I and didn't I, even know that when I was writing the book. Sorry to cut you. I really didn't even understand it when I started the book because I hadn't, I hadn't moved yet. In mid-book, I mean, I was halfway through the book before I decided to, to move. And it was like, oh, my God, like this is a lot harder than I thought. Right. So can you tell us what were, what were your legacy list items that you brought besides the cookbook? Yeah, the cookbook. The cookbook, obviously, one of my dad's rings. My dad was in advertising. It's a gold ring. I talked about it in the book. Uh, I should be wearing it. It's right over there. But he was a, um, he was in advertising. So we were like we were rich and broke like every year. Right. Like, and, I mean, advertising was just a very crazy right. career. And one year he was broke. He sold his car. He sold his house. He had to move to an apartment. He had not. I mean, we had nothing. And. 
and I say that lovingly because just the story of my dad's life. Like he was, he is who he is, and he somehow convinced Tiffany's, like the Tiffany's, you know, retailer. This is back in the eighties, to at the peak, you know, to let them. He did their catalog, their holiday catalog, and he shot it in his apartment. Right, and this is you know early spring for the next year. He's shooting it. And he shot the whole thing in his apartment, set up, and we would like come over to visit my dad, and there's like a, a photo shoot studio <laughs> in his in his dining room, and it, and he's finally done this great work. He's gonna get some money, and he fell in love with this ring, and he goes, he convinced Tiffany's instead of paying him cash, they just let him keep the gold ring. Keep the gold ring. I love ring. it. <laughs> and so I wear that I wear that ring all the time. He gave it to me the you know the night he died. Literally. Yeah. I mean, uh, like like a movie. Like he gave me, I mean, he gave me that ring, died the next day. And and I love that ring, but it reminds me, like, you know, to celebrate my dad as is exactly who it was. But it also reminds me as an entrepreneur, dude, get paid. Like, don't right. take stuff in drink. You know? Don't take the ring. <laughs> so I mean, you know, I got I mean, I got a couple things like that, but like all little things like that. I mean, they just I just love it. I have my grandfather's old coffee mug, uh, you know, that he would take with him every day. I mean, just little things. They're not valuable financially. They're important to me. And they tell the stories of really the characters of the people that raised me and helped me become who I am. Well, and I think I love the stories because I think that's it grounds us in who we are, right? You know, we hear so much today about people don't feel very resilient and they have these emotional health issues. And I think sometimes it's because we don't, we aren't really sure who we are or where we came from. So when we can have that touchstone or that memory, as you said, in that story, it kind of connects you, your past and your present. Yeah. Well, and who, who has the time better than care professional or home caregivers? Like you're in the home, you and and the person that's being cared for has the stories. Like now more than ever, it's time. Like you hear this excitement in me. I'm I get really excited about this because everyone that's listening right now has a hundred awesome stories, and they're unique to them. Probably a thousand, right? But they're in their head, and if you don't get them out now, they're not going to get out there. So I'm telling you, if you're at home. And a lot of your listeners are both the caregiver and the recipient. Both are having a hard time with how life is right now. Right. I'm telling you, man, you guys start picking a couple items. You start telling these stories and you will turn that frown upside down. I mean, you will enjoy life. It's hard not to laugh and smile when you're telling a story about grandma when she was 16 and some boy she kissed down the street. Exactly. And then finding it on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. That's not grandpa, by the way. Like that's always my favorite part, you know? So like, yeah. And I, I even put in the book, I've got a lot of like conversation starters where I'm like, Hey, if you don't know how to start these conversations, go ask these questions. Like what was your first job? What did you get paid? Did you play a sport in high school? Like people are always amazed that like grandma shot eight three pointers at a high school game one time, you know, like people don't realize that the people we love were badasses at one point. You right. Know? Right. And, and I, I just, I could, I just could talk all day. I love the stories and the, the stuff in our house is what gets us started on that. And, and I'm telling you, if you tell the stories, you can actually get rid of all the crap that doesn't matter. Right. You, you also talk about something else. And I think I love this for family caregivers because again, we have no time to clean up our own homes, you know, let alone, you know, help out or whatever, but you talk about, it's called the 10 minute suite. And what I loved is I, I have a program called Me Time Monday, and it reminded me of the same thing. And that is how do we almost think about decluttering and organizing as, as more of a consistent habit and not something we do once every 10, 20, or 30 years? So tell us about the 10 minute sweep 
and what that is. Yeah, so it's it's actually rooted in Buddhism, believe it or not. It's rooted in, pra- it's a practice, okay? It has to be, it's just kind of like when you're, I, I compare a lot of things to weight loss because weight loss and decluttering are very similar. I know I need to do it. I have no desire to do the effort, right? And so it, I've got to trick myself into doing it. And so I started 10 minutes sweep years ago. It was like, okay, I ain't cleaning for an hour on the first day. Like, I'm just trying to trick you into getting used to it. And so the 10 minute sweep is just go clean anywhere in your house for 10 minutes consistently to every day. And so it's not really about that what you're cleaning. It's that you're getting used to doing it. And what happens is if you do it 10 minutes a night, you actually, by the end of the week, you'll see some success. You'll actually see a physical space that has is better than it was. Right? It's really that simple. I mean, if you go in for an hour, you're going to be like, nah, that was too hard. And you sit down, you're like, I ain't doing that tomorrow. 10 minutes is actually surprisingly achievable. And so it, it, it's really, again, it's not about the actual stuff or the space. It's about getting your body and your mind used to doing it consistently. And, and I think intentionally is probably the word you would use a lot. It's intentional effort and it becomes a habit. It becomes something you do every day. And, and, and I tell people like, that was so easy. I'm going to do 30 minutes tomorrow. I'm like, nope. Nope. Keep it to 10. Yeah. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Well, and what I love is that you do get a little boost when you clean something. I always do. Now the downer is I know it'll be dirty again in about a week, but when you get something clean, you do feel that like emotional lift. And I think for caregivers, just having that little success, that little, I conquered something because so often in our lives, we can't conquer disease. We can't conquer cancer or Alzheimer's or what's going on. But if we can have this little victory, that's the success, right? Actual at-home caregivers, what I always say is get the dishes done each night. If you can get the sink clean, that is a win. And sometimes you're right. If you're a, if you're a home caregiver, like, dude, that's a huge win. Like, that's not just an empty sink. Like, you accomplished something, and you need to feel good about that. And so the second part of the 10-minute sweep is celebrating what you just did. And I'm sitting here making a big deal about finishing the dishes and getting the dishwasher loaded. Yeah, I am. Because, man, people don't know what caregivers are going through and what they've given up and how hard life is. And, you know, people say, you're so great that you do that for your mom. One, You're amazing. That Man, you don't know what I've given up, right? Like, and I mean, I've heard, I mean, you know, I've heard stories that are insane what people have given up. And when it's over, no one regrets giving up things for it. But, man, it's hard during the middle, you know. I've run a bunch of marathons in my life. The finish line is awesome. Mile 17 is horrible, man. <laughs> like you, you right. know, 14 to 26, you just you're just trying not to quit, right? And so, so one thing about the Timmons is it just helps you not quit. And so do that work. I I really just say focus on the dishwasher. If you can get the dishwasher loaded and the sink clean, you can go to bed and feel like I did I accomplished something. Like because you're right, I can't cure cancer. I can't cure these major things I'm helping with, but I can do the dishes and I gotta feel good about it. And so, yeah, this is this is a lot about mental headspace and not what we're actually the, the task in front of us. Exactly, which I love. So we know that for family caregivers, there's probably going to be three scenarios in, in this world of decluttering. One is, okay, you know, maybe mom is going to be moving to assisted living or even memory care. Second scenario would be mom might be moving in with us. And you, you just told me a story before we came on about your, your in-laws. So maybe you could touch on that. And the third one, of course, is when you lose a loved one, you have to probably go through their stuff. So what are the, what are the tips or techniques or things that you would say about those scenarios and what caregivers should think about or use? 
So option one was mom's moving to another place, right? External from our home. The destination is really going to depict what you're bringing. And that's actually the first step in down. People think downsizing is just decluttering. It's not. It's actually the first step is knowing where you're going to go. Right. And most, most people call me and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm ready to start decluttering. Great. Where are you going? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, right. it's like packing for a vacation. But yeah, you don't know if you're going to the beach or the mountains. You got to know. And so I would say pick, I mean, literally pick the room. You need the layout of the room before you can start decluttering. And so with that one, I say don't don't pick too early, but involve mom unless it's a memory care issue. And if it's a memory care issue, specifically do not involve mom. Right. That'll frustrate her even more and you. And so you really have to be brutally honest with where you are in that situation. And you're going to take very little, like very little. And the other side of that is you've now got a residence. If she's moved into memory care or assisted living or wherever she's going, you now have a residence that you probably lived in for 30 years at one point or 20 years in your life. And it's a, it's a ticking clock on that asset, right? And right now house prices are up, so you're incentivized. But what if that house is worth nothing? And you could take a year, two, three years. In that scenario, you must set a personal timeline of when that house will be done. And and or the, you know and if there, if if there is a sale involved, get the realtors involved early because they're going to push you to get it on the market. Like you, I have seen families waste five years going through a house. Wow! You can get it done in three weeks, or you can get it done in three years. I encourage you to be realistic. A month, two months is probably the most I would do. But you must set a firm deadline that the entire family agrees to. Situation number two, mom is moving into your house. Right. Which is the most common. By the way, 93% of Americans age in place, either at their home or at an adult child's home. The story we're we're sharing here is my, I guess, step-in-laws have just moved in with us. Now, we built a separate apartment. We built a little cottage for them at the back of our property. So they have their own space. And so we were lucky enough to have the space to do that. But what I'm telling you is you got to make space wherever. Maybe they're just getting a bedroom. Right. You can't just put mom and dad stuff on top of your old stuff. You have to wipe that room. And that is their apartment. That's their space. It's no So you can't put like, okay, mom, yeah, you can bring your chair, but you got to put it over here. That ain't your space anymore. I mean, and so you've got to completely clean. And this is going to be not a popular discussion here. No, but I like this. This is good. Yeah. You must give mom space that is 100% hers. And if she wants to make it look ugly, great. That ain't none of your business. That's her space. Right. And like we're in the, you know, this is going to air right after the holidays. Like you've got to incorporate mom's holiday stuff around the house. You can't just give her one piece of the pie. She, she now lives in this space with you and you cannot make it like, I guess the best way to say this is we sometimes as a caregiver, we come into the whole situation with a, we just want everybody to say thank you. Right. 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 And really we should be saying you're welcome. Right. Like it shouldn't be about, you know, sometimes caregivers, it's all about I need not nah, trying to think of a way to say this. Basically, like you can't just be like, you're welcome that I'm allowing you to be here in this house. It's a hey, thank you, mom, for sharing this space with us. And so you must give up some of your stuff and the kids must give up some of their stuff, third generation, to make space for grandma. What I'll challenge you with is it'll make your life better, not worse. Like get rid of your stuff and get rid of it. Don't just put it in stores. I'm not big on storage. Storage is just a, you're paying to, to put it off. I, I liked that in their book. Yeah. And you talk about how 
somebody put something in storage and it was worth so much if they had sold it that day versus years down the we road. Had, we had furniture that was that was worth about 45 grand and she put it in storage and then we we came along 25 years later and she had spent $185 a month for 25 years and we sold the stuff for five grand because it was the good stuff. It was the good stuff, right? So, I mean, the math, believe it or not, the math on that was like $225,000 she spent to hold five grand worth of stuff. Wow. And that is a, an alarming shocking, really frustrating stat, but it's a fact. Math doesn't lie. And so I'm not big on storage. I'm also not big on buying a lot of containers and buying a lot of supplies. Like, it, you know, my whole point is to live with less stuff and buying more stuff does not get you to having less stuff. Right, right. So, <laughs> I mean, do, you know, corporate box is fine. Do with what you got in the house. But, but when mom is moving in option two, I really want you to just, you have to do your part too. Because this has to feel like mom's house. It's not just that she's lucky you're taking care of her. Right. She has to feel welcome. What about in the third scenario? How do you advise family caregivers about the guilt of letting something go that belonged to your lost loved one? This was my favorite part of the entire book. So guilt is not just for Catholics anymore. We all have it. <laughs> That's right. right. It's 50, <laughs> but there is a large line at 50 years old. If you are over 50, you still feel a lot of guilt for what your parents and relatives, dead relatives, by the way, what they are leaving you. I assure you, no one under 50 feels that guilt. Okay. <laughs> okay. I the, the line I use in the book is I say, look, like you got a great aunt that gave you this dish 25 years ago and she's been dead for 15. Like, I think she's okay with it. Right. I mean, <laughs> my mom always says to me, well, what's your grandfather think? My grandfather's been dead 24 years. Like he's, he's good, man. Like it is not weighing him down. You know, and so like I'm really I hope people feel encouraged by this in the book. Like I really do push the guilt thing. You do not need to feel guilty. This is about your life and how you want to live a happy life. And your relatives, I promise you, your loved ones want you to live a happy life. And I've seen entire rooms that people keep because they're afraid their mom who's passed away would be upset. Right. If you have a wooden couch with a big arched back, (laughs) man, you got too much guilt in your life. Get rid of that. You haven't sat in that thing. If it's got plastic on it. Get rid of it, dude. You haven't sat in that thing in 10 years. Make space for the life you want because this is about you being happy. And stuff is, we confuse that stuff makes us happy. It does not. It actually puts more weight on us than than not. And so get rid of the stuff you don't need. Yeah. Well, like you said, go back to your legacy lift. There will be something that you want to keep or a few things, you know, that'll be those comfort you know, things that remind you of your loved ones, but you don't need all of it. The other thing I just want to do a little comment because you mentioned people under 50 don't feel the guilt. And I agree with that. Something really interesting though, that I'm seeing in, in interior home design is that millennials are starting to embrace something called the grand millennial style, where they're taking things from their grandparents. Now they're modernizing it maybe, yes, but they're incorporating kind of this granny chic into their stuff. And I love that. I think, oh, upcycling. That's, that's cool. Upcycling. Yeah. Yes. Upcycling is big now. And I mean, like my, I talk about in the book, there's a group that a family I helped many years ago, I actually went to high school with both the husband and the wife. They end up getting married later in life. They're good friends of mine. The wife called me to help with her grandparents' house. And she ended up keeping, her grandparents were immigrants. They came here, were very successful. They had a ton of nice stuff. She's like, my house is full. I don't need it. Her, her parents wanted to take everything. She kept a, a, a jar of keys. That's it. And this is a story about upcycling. And I remember thinking, keys, what are you doing? And she's like, well, my husband's going to make a wind chime out of it. And they entertain a lot in their backyard. Their kids are musicians. They love to live outside. And so what's so cool about that, he made a wind chime out of her grandfather's old keys, right? And it's just a 
it was an old Folgers can, that red Folgers can that we find in every house. It was a red Folgers can filled with keys. He turns it into a wind chime with driftwood. People see it. They're like, what's that? And she's like, oh, that's my grandparents' keys. Let me tell you about my grandpa. And so now hundreds of people get to hear about this really cool dude they never met. Right. And so the, the upside, I like the granny chic or however you said it. I mean, the upcycling really allows us to showcase some of these items that were regular or ordinary and it makes them really extraordinary. And then it is a it is a starting point for another story. And I'm telling you, just start telling the stories. If you're listening right now, I just grab somebody. And the key is you got to have an audience. You must have an audience to tell a story. So call a friend, some church. I don't care how you get them. Get someone to listen to these stories because they will smile and that will make you feel better. And I love that. That's a great way for us to kind of end. I I could talk to you all afternoon, Matt, but the stories are precious, right? And allowing older adults to tell their story and then you absorb that and pass it on. It's just, it's lovely and it's wonderful. I just can't thank you enough. And the book is fantastic. I want to tell people it's it's great stories, but it's also lots of good checklists. You have lots of resources in there, like about professionals that can help you move or archive your photos. And I know you do that as well. Yeah, it's my entire 20 year career, man. Everything I've ever dealt with. And the, the last chapter is actually the hundred items that people ask me the most about. And it tells you where to donate or where to dispose or where to sell. So everything from China to piano to all of it, it gives you all the resources and then all the companies I use, lots of tips. It's 50% emotional, 50% really operational. And I think if you're dealing with this at all, which in you know most of the country is dealing with it right now, buy the book, you'll feel, it'll, it'll give you a lot of direction and you will laugh and smile and you'll have more conversations with your loved ones. Right. Now, I, I know the book's coming out. So tell us again, the name of the book and when it comes out and where we can find it. Book is called Keep the Memories, Lose the Stuff. Turns out you can get it everywhere. It's on sale February 8th. So this is a couple days before that. You can, I would love for you to pre-order right now if you can, but it's available at Target, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, you name it. Love local bookstores if you've got one. But if you got to buy it online, you can get it at any of those stores. But it's available pre-order now and then everywhere, February 8th. And where can we watch your show? Because I know we want people to also tune into your show. If you like it, check the show Legacy List with Matt Paxton. It is on PBS pretty much all year round. Just go to PBS or go to the PBS app. Type in Legacy List. It'll pop up. And if you really can't find it, go to MyLegacyList.com. All these tips and all, we have a bunch of articles and all my tips are on videos there as well, mylegacylist.com. And season one and season two are free on mylegacylist.com. Fantastic. We will have all of those URL links on our episode guide page. So Matt, again, thank you so much for joining us today. It was fascinating and you gave us some really good things to think about. So thank you. Thank you for having me. And to all you caregivers listening, thank you for all the work you do. You are saints. So in our Well Home Design news, we just heard from Matt Paxton, who had some really great, interesting input for us. But I wanted to give you a couple of other sources for kind of this organizational skills and decluttering around your house. So first of all, this is probably one of my favorite books. It's called The Home Edit Life, and it's by authors Clea Shear and Joanna Teplin. And I have to say, these are my soul sisters, because as you can see by the cover of the book, they use a lot of color to help organize things like your kitchen pantry or your bathroom shelves. They do a lot of labeling, which as we know is really great for designing for someone who might have dementia who's still living at home. And I do a whole article on designing for dementia you can read on our website and on our episode guide page but 
they really have some really great tips as well. And then Marie Kondo, who many of you probably know, she is the guru of the life-changing magic of tidying up. That's her book. She used a lot of principles from feng shui. And feng shui is really similar to our Me Time Monday program because it is about balance and it's about finding the right symmetry and the right combination of things and placement in a room to really enhance your overall wellness. So I think when you think about these three books, first of all, The Home Edit Life uses color. Marie Kondo uses a lot of the balancing symmetry, bringing in biophilia design into the home, which I also write about. And then Matt with doing, you know, just these quick 10 minute sweeps. It's all about our Me Time Monday principles, which are to use color, to do things in tiny steps. So you don't want to declutter your whole house this weekend. Take one drawer. And if you take one drawer or one shelf, you've got 52 weeks to do just one drawer a week. You can get it done and it will make you feel so much better. So, you know, one of the trends that we're seeing in in home design in 2022 is called Japandi, which is actually about this kind of Eastern Zen matched up with Swedish minimalism, which is a big trend right now in home design. And it's all about, again, just kind of letting the rooms breathe, giving more oxygen, more air, more light into your life. This is really what a well-home design concept and philosophy is all about. So with that, I'm going to share with you our Me Time Monday wellness hack, which goes into a little bit more of these tiny steps that you can take to find your wellness this year. Welcome to our Me Time Monday wellness hack. This episode's wellness hack is the science behind my Me Time Monday program. It is how you achieve your wellness goals and bring balance back into your life. Let's face it. In today's world, we have too many choices. Psychologists know that too much choice can become overwhelming. All these choices create complexity in our lives that leads to stagnation. In his 1970 book, Future Shock, Alvin Toffler explained this choice overload can actually paralyze us into no action at all. And ultimately, all these choices make us unhappy. Think about what has happened in our lives just over the last few years. For entertainment, we have more than a thousand channels or streaming services with many more thousands programs you can watch. You can spend days online shopping and searching for the perfect purple shoe until your eyes glaze over. We spend more time scrolling on social media than sleeping and even grocery shopping offers endless choices. There are more than 12 different options for Tide detergent alone. So when we think about caregiving, all of a sudden there may be an entire new set of choices we will need to make. Do we help mom get help at home or do we have her come live with us? Do I need to check on her during the day or is she okay until I can get there after work? After a doctor visit, mom asked me what she should do based on the options from her doctor. All these choices and decisions can actually contribute to the rise in burnout and emotional health issues we see with caregivers, especially since the stress and challenges of the pandemic. Now let's talk about resolutions. For many, 2022 is the year of refresh, re-energize, reimagine. At Caregiving Club, we are calling 2022 the year of living colorfully. But why don't New Year's resolutions work for a sustainable wellness plan? Well, some studies show 50 to 80% of all New Year's resolutions fail. 
In fact, of the 41% of Americans who made resolutions last year, only 9% kept them by the end of the year. And research in 2019 showed the day that most people are likely to give up their New Year's resolution is January 19th, which means many of you have dropped your resolution by the time you're listening to this episode. There are also several reasons why resolutions don't work and why the Me Time Monday program does work. Let me show you how. So the first step in the Me Time Monday program is having caregivers focus on the me, which is your motivation. The first question I have is, what do you want to change? Is it your physical wellness, such as getting more sleep? Is it social wellness and improving your relationships? Is it spiritual wellness and finding more time to feed your soul? As we go through the process in my workshop, we start to understand that while one or two areas of the seven elements of wellness are your priority, by trying to have little wins in each of the seven areas, they fuel each other And these little victories add up to empower you and bring your life back into balance. For instance, if you start each day by saying what you are grateful for, you are more likely to also do something that improves your physical or social wellness throughout the day. The second question I have is what moves you, inspires you, gives you hope, makes you feel carefree and joyful? What did you love to do when you were a kid? Did you jump in a pile of leaves or a snowbank or a lake? then do it. That's me time. Just thinking about it right now, make you smile. Well, then Eureka, that is what we want for you. It's all about how we can capture that magic of happiness, even for just a few minutes a week, in the same way we captured the magic of fireflies in a jar. The second step in the Me Time Monday program is easy. It's called baby steps, and it relates to how much time you should spend on your me time. Your wellness journey is like learning to walk. You start slow, take small steps, maybe stumble, but you keep trying. By tapping into that inner child of joy, you ultimately learn to walk to a steady, strong path of wellness. Most people set big goals when it comes to resolutions. You know, I want to lose 20 pounds by my son's wedding. I want to stop smoking or drinking. I want to be kinder to people. I want to practice more self-care. These types of goals are great, but they're really lofty and they don't have any clear direction on how to get there. And so often you get lost trying to achieve them. By breaking resolutions into tiny steps or what Ariana Huffington calls micro steps, and you develop a plan and pathway to get there, you'll have a series of weekly wins that continue to motivate you. When your goals are too big and unrealistic, you set yourself up to feel like you're failing and this will drag you down week after week. Maybe your me time is just getting outside into nature, but don't feel like you have to power walk for 30 minutes. Walk outdoors for five minutes, take in the smells, the scenery, the sounds. That's it, you've done something for you. If you want longer time, take it. But five minutes or less every day or every week is better than 30 minutes every six months or never getting started in the first place. The Monday in the Me Time Monday program is the third step. It is the prompt every week to plan that you can remain on course and make it a routine every week. So routine means creating habits. And with some of these elements of your seven elements of wellness, we want these to become positive habits. But how do you do that? Well, the neuroscience of habits are essentially, you need a cue, then you have an action, and then you give yourself a reward. 
We also borrow from some of the learning of the noted behavioral scientist, BJ Fogg, who has three steps in his tiny habits program. The first is motivation. The second is your ability to do it. And then the third is your prompt. So one of the best ways to create routine is to find something you do every day or every week that you do automatically, almost with no thought because it is an embedded habit. Maybe it's brushing your teeth or taking a shower or just getting out of bed. Now take one of your wellness goals. Maybe you want to have more gratitude. So every morning when you get out of bed, you say one line of gratitude, or maybe you want to be more flexible. So as you brush your teeth, you put one leg on the sink and brush and stretch and then brush the lower teeth and change legs. So you're essentially stacking one of your wellness habits onto an existing routine. The other thing about habit stacking is that the more the new habit takes hold, you don't have to decide to say a line of gratitude or to do a quick stretch. This frees your mind up to narrow your decision making to the more important decisions throughout the day. It will help you to overcome that feeling of being overwhelmed and reduce your burnout from so many choices. The goal is to have your wellness become a habit not a choice. Finally, we come to the reason why we chose Monday as our prompt day for wellness. There is science behind Monday starts. Research has shown that Monday is part of our cultural DNA. It is the beginning of the school week. It is the beginning of the work week. One study found 54% of respondents felt if they managed stress on a Monday, it would help them continue for the rest of the week. Monday was also the number one day of the week that people choose to start healthy behaviors and new routines. We like Monday better than New Year's resolutions because you get 52 Mondays to do some me time rather than trying to build to just one big goal. 52 small me time wellness hacks is so much better. And we use color psychology in our seven elements of wellness to make it fun. Maybe this week you'll achieve physical wellness and next week it is environmental wellness. All of a sudden it is a game to see how many colors you can add each week. We call this Me Time Monday Mixology. And in addition to using Monday as your prompt day, we also want you to use it as your reward day. If you achieve some me time last week, then give yourself a reward. If you miss me time, then simply reset and say this week you will get there because you want that reward. What will make you successful is making it fun. If it is work, then it won't work. So find your fun zone, mix it up, take baby steps, habit stack, some of your wellness elements and live colorfully. We hope you enjoyed this Me Time Monday wellness hack and listen to each of our Caregiving Club On Air podcasts for wellness hacks at the end of each episode. You can also learn more about the Me Time Monday workshop and program at caregivingclub.com. Take care and stay well. Thank you for listening to our Caregiving Club On Air podcast. Please remember to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or other listening channels and share with your friends. And if you have any questions or comments for us, please email us at podcast at caregivingclub.com. And you can find all of the references and links that we mentioned in this podcast on our website at caregivingclub.com backslash podcasts. We wish you a year of living colorfully and take care and stay well.